0: Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's journey through history, we are going to take a look at some dog stories from the distant past. In my research along the way, looking for stories of other subjects occasionally, I'll flip to a newspaper, and something will catch my eye as a story that's connected with a dog. And I've been taking up the habit of clipping these articles and throwing them into a file. And when I get enough of them, I decided, well, someday I'm going to do a episode specifically on dog stories from the distant past. And guess what? Here we are. So come along and join me. If you have a dog, you might want to cuddle up with them right now and uh, let them know that this episode is about them. So wag your tails and let's go back into the distant past on some fascinating, curious, and even funny dog stories. So if you follow my YouTube channel, you may have noticed that occasionally I have videos with my dogs in them. I have two myself, and if you're a dog owner, you know what it's like to really have the company of one of these four-legged friends in your life, and they are very much part of the family. Not so was it always considered the same in the distant past. And you'll find in some of these stories that the treatment and care of dogs wasn't always the same. But there were still many people back then that cared for them as much as you did. So here's a story that ran in the Battle Creek Daily Journal on May twenty-fifth, 1878. And the title of the story was A Good Dog. I'm going to have to stop at different times reading this to you to describe some of the terms so that you can get the picture of what they're talking about. When the alarm of fire was given last night, Mr. E.D. Russell was returning from the eastern part of the city with his team attached to his double dray. Now, a dray back in the 1800s was historically a flatbed wagon without sides and it was pulled by horses or mules, in this case... It was horses. And so he had his double dray, so it must have been a longer dray than typical. And on hearing the alarm, he whipped up his horses, which started off on a dead run. A dog belonging to H.J. Champion, who is in the habit of following Mr. Russell, was running ahead of the horses, evidently pleased with the headway they were making. On turning onto Division Street, Mr. R., saw a small child just in the act of crossing the road a short distance in front of him. The dog appeared to take in the situation and instantly left the horses and ran for the child, coming to a dead halt in front of it and stopping the little fellow in time to prevent his being run over by the dray. After the danger was over, the dog again resumed his accustomed position in front of the team. So that is the story of a good dog. Our next story comes from the Battle Creek Daily Moon, and this article was rerun from the Marshall Chronicle, and it ran in June of 1888. And this is one of the darker looks at how dogs were treated way back in the day. Marshall Chronicle. The authorities have taken the life of at least one dog, which was discovered roaming about minus a muzzle, and have several more in confinement ready for the slaughter, unless they are redeemed. The method used by the city to kill canines is to feed them strychnine. Marshall is keeping pace with other large cities on the dog question, and this city is fast assuming the name of Dogtown. There are more worthless curs to the square inch in Battle Creek than any place of size in the state. Won't the council do something toward ridding the city of this nuisance? The same is being done in other respectable communities. And that was the article. So, yep, that's what some folks thought of dogs back then. The next story that I came across ran in the Grand Rapids Herald on February 22nd, 1892. And this is an article about poems that were written by two different poets. And they both independently wrote about a particular dog in their poems. One dog that was named Famous Old Gaylert. This dog, a deer hound, was given by King John to his son-in-law, Llewellyn, who kept him at his hunting lodge in the neighborhood of the Welsh Mountain Snowdon. Gaylert was missed one morning from the hunt by his master. Llewellyn, upon his return to the lodge, saw the dog and discovered that his mouth was besmeared with blood. Concluding that his dog had devoured his child, the infuriated master slew the poor animal. Upon investigation, he discovered a dead wolf by the child's cradle while the child was safely and soundly sleeping the brave dog had saved Llewellyn's heir from the wolf. A monument was erected to the faithful creature, which bears the name Beth Gaylert. So that was kind of a sad story of uh, acting before you fully investigate, I suppose. Hmm. The next story comes from the Lance Sentinel, and this ran on July 29th, 1899. And the title of this little article is... Horse defends a dog. Dogs and horses generally get on well together. But the following story from Manchester proves that in some cases, the friendship is something more than a mere toleration of each other. A carriage horse accompanied by his stable companion, a retriever dog, to which he was exceedingly attached was drinking at a trough near the exchange. When the dog was waiting for his friend to finish his draught, a large mastiff picked a quarrel with him, which ended in a fight. The mastiff, as may be supposed, had the better of the battle, and the retriever was severely bitten. The horse, the moment he heard his friend's cry, broke from the man who was holding him, hurried to the rescue, and after kicking the mastiff across the street, returned to the trough, and finished his drink. And there we go. A horse defends a dog. The next story that I found is a story that ran in the Sunday Journal Record in Battle Creek on June 28, 1908. And the title of the article was, These Are Dog Days. And it's a somewhat of a sad one, but it does show you some insight into the time as well as Some of the struggles that we even face in present day with certain areas of the country where dogs are roaming free. Here's the article. These are grievous days for the common canine who tries unsuccessfully, perhaps, to make up in affection what he lacks in pedigree. Almost every day now, the Battle Creek Police Department sends a canine soul-winging its way tense, and there are a lot of new faces in the dog heaven this month. No less than 16 have been disposed of this month because their owners would not procure for them the little brass tags. And these are simply the animals that the policemen have picked up on their beats. What the slaughter will be when the new official dog hunter gets busy is horrible to contemplate. While many dog owners are willing to feed some animal that has come out of nowhere and attached itself to the family, they are not willing to pay out good money for tags. And consequently, the promising career of more than one canine is being nipped in the bud, more than one cache of bones will be left to the ravages of time or until some wandering brute of blue blood whose master has purchased a year's lease of life for him finds it. Curious things have happened in connection with the work of taking care of the dogs and selling the tags for them. The other day, a woman who had, the day before, purchased a tag for her dog called up Recorder Thorne and said that her dog had gone mad and it was necessary to shoot him and asked if she could have her dollar refunded as she had now no use for her brass tag. Unfortunately, the recorder was unable to do anything for her and advised her to take up the matter with the city attorney, Deskin. It is believed that the money, Stingency, may have something to do with the unresponsive attitude of the dog owners towards the matter of paying the annual tax. In flush times, a dollar would not be much to lavish on a fairly good dog, but a dollar will buy a whole lot of strawberry shortcake, and dollars are not so easy to corral just now. Hence, the frightful morality in the dog world. The police department believes there are a great many dogs owned in town that are really not wanted. And that is the end of that article, which is somewhat sad. And just to back that article up, here's an article that ran in 1903 in June of that year. Beware the dog. All persons owning dogs or having dogs in their possession are hereby notified that the animals must be tagged before the 1st of July. According to the city ordinance, all dogs found without tags after that date will be taken to the pound and shot in due course. Tags must be procured of city recorder Ham. W.H. Farrington, chief of police. A little doggy drama going on there. Here's an interesting article that ran in 1931 in the Battle Creek Enquirer and the Evening News. And it was called Discovered in Venezuela Wilds. A group of Syracuse University scientists returned yesterday from four months in the jungles and mountains of Venezuela, bringing with them thousands of rarities in flora and fauna and a story of discovery of traces of the lost Andean man who flourished long before the reign of the Incas. And then it goes into a lot of their discoveries and the trip, but then there's a paragraph here in the middle. The yodeling dog was captured. While the scientists were making a trip over the highest automobile road in the world, across the Andes from Miranda to... San Crischel at the point where the strange animal was found the road reached a height of 13583 feet. So it lists as their discoveries on this expedition of most notable in addition to the Andean man was a yodeling dog and also a two-mouth fish. That's right, a two-mouth fish. So there you go, a yodeling dog. Now, here's a great article that ran in the Battle Creek Daily Moon on Friday, September 30th, 1892. And this kind of uh, takes the story of dog catching from a different angle. And this article was called A Dog's Memory. One experience with dog catchers sufficed for all times. If anybody supposes that dogs have no memory, he certainly never knew a dog that had been unfortunate enough to make the acquaintance of the dog catchers, a friend of mine living in the suburbs as a valuable dog on which he paid license. But on account of the collar chafing the animal's neck, he was accustomed to leave off this valuable protection. One day, when walking with his dog, he was unlucky enough to meet the dog catchers. One of them threw his wire, and the animal, recognizing his evil intent, made a tremendous spring, and went clear of the loop, struck out for home, and on his master's return a few moments later had jumped the fence and hidden in the cellar. For a considerable time the dog could not be persuaded to leave the yard, but finally by degrees got over his fright and ventured out as usual. About a year later, on walking out one morning, the dog catcher's wagon again came in view, and although it was nearly two blocks away, the animal recognized it and gave it a wide berth. Nor could the dog catchers, even by their exercise of the utmost adroitness, get within a block of the clever dog. The next story I found ran in the Battle Creek Daily Moon on Monday, May 16, 1892. It's called An Intelligent Canine story of a vermont shepherd dog driving cows here is a story of a vermont sheepdog which Scotsmen will find it hard to match captain c of bradford had a shepherd dog which was accustomed to bring home the cows at night always separating them from the other cattle and never allowing any but milch cows to come up one day captain c accompanied the dog in driving the cows to pasture At one place on the road, the captain was surprised to see the dog desert the herd and make to the woods by the side of the road. Captain went on with the cattle, which were walking briskly in advance. Within a quarter of a mile, they came up to a break in the fence, of which the captain had no knowledge leading into the field. And here, in the gap of the fence, sat the dog in a matter-of-fact way guarding it against the entrance of the cattle. What else could his master suppose that the dog was aware of of the gap in the fence and knowing the man would bring up the cattle made a detour through the woods to the place to prevent the cattle going through into the field? Smart dog. The next article ran in the Battle Creek Daily Journal on Thursday, February 2nd, 1893. And the story is entitled A Bright Horse and a Clever Dog. Few telegraphers are better known in New York than George Mudgett of the Postal Office, and there are fewer still who have a better fund of stories. He tells of a certain horse who accompanies a Scranton, Pennsylvania lineman on his trips. This horse can see a broken insulator quicker than his rider. Now, a lineman is one who would follow the telegraph lines, and the insulators were those um, porcelain caps that the wires would run against and uh, you can see those sometimes show up in antique shops nowadays um, because they were replaced many years ago by a new technology when power lines came in and telephone lines changed and all that but back in the time when there was telegraph lines they had these porcelain insulators and they would go and check to see if they were broken and so they would replace them and so anyway so this horse can see a broken insulator quicker than his rider and always stops when one is reached It is hardly necessary to add that the horse can telegraph with his feet, but no one knows what he signs. The same lineman owns a dog, which can tell by the bell attached to the district messenger register when a certain firm rings a call. The dog at once runs to the store, takes the message in his mouth, and delivers it safely at the telegraph office, George Mudgett says he never invents yarns. That was the end of the article there. So, yeah, the the horse knew how to fix insulator lines or knew where to find them, and the dog knew who was sending the telegraph messages. What's so hard to uh... believe about that? I mean, you know, happens every day. And this last story was run in the Michigan Tribune on January 8th, 1881 the michigan tribune was one of the oldest newspapers that they have record of at the willard library and this was a story that they had run that was originally published in the atlanta constitution and the title of the article was a dog that died of grief dr martin a gentleman living on decatur street tells the constitution of a remarkable story about a dog who actually died of a broken heart "'Do you remember,' said the pleasant doctor, "'that about two months ago my father-in-law, Mr. W. H. Harvell, "'who had reached a green old age, died. "'You may or may not know that he owned at the time of his death "'a very fine bulldog, a huge, fat, sleek fellow "'who went by the name of Ponto. "'For months and months before his death, "'his dog was his constant companion.' There was something almost human in the devotion of the dog to his master, and as a natural consequence, the master was particularly fond of his dog. The daily movements of the old gentleman for a long time before his last sickness were as regular as those of a clock, and Ponto followed him as surely as his very shadow. They were simply inseparable. When the old man died, Ponto took his place by the coffin but did not budge until it was taken from the room. And then he got up and followed it closely to the hearse and followed the hearse to the grave. Ponto came back to the house a changed dog. Every night he lay upon his rug in the porch and moaned piteously all night long. I have never heard any expression of human sorrow that was half so plaintive and touching as the moaning of that dog. As night after night, He writhed upon that rug. Every day found him making his rounds just as he used to before the old man died. He would walk slowly up the street and after a while pass down the other side on his way to the plantation. He would come back to the store and after lying under the chair a few moments would get up, look into my face in the most pleading manner, and then he would go up to the house and after taking his place by the sofa in the hall, suddenly sprang up and walked through my father-in-law's bedroom. He was looking for his dead master. The family let him have his own way, and I did all in my power to console him. I tempted him with the choicest meat, but he refused to eat. I offered him the warmest milk, but he would not drink. He went about with his head down, the very picture of sorrow. He dwindled away almost to a skeleton, staggering around daily to the places visited by his master in life, and at night giving vent to his distressful moaning. But this could not last forever. And so one day, after five weeks after his master died, Ponto came dragging his lank and weak body down the street, that same street he had traveled so many bright mornings with his master. When he got up by the fence where he stopped and sank upon the ground. I ran to him, lifting him in my arms, and carried him into the yard. I laid him gently on the ground. I wish now I had taken him into the house and placed him in the old man's room. For and the kind old doctor turned his head. There was a tremor in his voice. He was dead. And that was the story. But, oh, I can't leave you with a story like that. No, 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 no. That would ruin your day. So here's a story that will be a little bit more uplifting to end this podcast episode. And this was published in the Battle Creek Daily Moon on Monday, April 9th, 1888. And the headline reads, Deserves a Medal, How an Iris Retriever Saved the Lives of Seven Fishermen. A good dog story comes from Maine to the Washington letter writer. A.C. Buell, a former well-known journalist of that city, usually goes hunting during the sporting season on the Pento Bay. And when hunting, he leaves his dog, Pat, a very fine-bred Irish retriever in care of a fisherman on the shores of that bay. A few days ago, Mr. Buell received a letter from the fisherman telling him of a remarkable performance of Pat in rescuing no less than seven persons from a fishing shack that had been thrown on a reef in a heavy gale. The shack was lodged on one side of the reefs of Greenspoon Island, about 200 feet from shore. The men hoisted signals of distress and were in momentary danger of being swept away. Tremendous waves were running and the crowd of excited fishermen on the shore knew that it would be fatal for them to attempt a rescue as no boat in their possession could live in that sea. Suddenly, the one who had in his care the dog Pat be thought of him that the dog had been taught to not only retrieve but to tow boats by a rope from one point to another and often when a boat would get adrift he would be sent for it and would run his nose under the painter till he could come to the end of it and when he would take it in his teeth. "...and fetched the boat to shore. Pat was at once called for. A long cod line was placed to a piece of lath and flung as far as possible into the water. Pat promptly sprang in and swam to it and brought it to shore. Several times he repeated this performance. The fishermen were in despair. The waves were splashing so high they could not direct the dog's attention to the men on the reef." Finally, Pat seemed to comprehend that there was something more serious to hand than he had first thought. He raised his head and looked intently over the water. His eye caught sight of the boat with its signals of distress and the waves dashing over it. When the lath with the codline attached was again thrown in the water, Pat at once sprang after it. He took the lath in his teeth and instead of turning to the shore, struck out through the roaring surf to the reef. Many times he was buried under the waves, but after a few minutes of intense suspense, he was seen from the shore clambering up the side of the reef. And a great shout went up as the imperiled sailors took hold of him and lifted him into the boat in an almost exhausted condition. In brief time, a strong rope was attached to the cod line. The men on shore were signaled to haul away, and the rope was made fast to the reef and the shore, and one by one, the men passed hand over hand over their place of danger and the brave dog following them as he had got his second wind. Mr. Buell thinks that Congress ought to vote Pat the most elegant silver collar that can be made. Pat is from the famous kennels of Tullamore near Cork and is a dog of remarkable beauty and wonderment. So there you go. There's your final dog story of this episode. So as I collect more stories in the future, and if you like this type of story, let me know, and I will do some more of these types of episodes now and then. And if you, of course, liked this podcast episode, be sure to leave a review or a rating on whatever app that you are listening on, as that always helps other new listeners to find the podcast. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. And be sure to mark your calendar for July 29th. I will be at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum involved in a very special presentation on Oak Hill Cemetery along with some of the guests that have been on this show before, Dave Eddy and Jim Jackson. So mark your calendar for that date. I will put the link to the tickets in the description of this episode if you want to come out and see me as well as Dave Eddy and Jim Jackson. We'd love to have you out there and all the proceeds go to support the Battle Creek Regional History Museum. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.